0: Morning, church. We continue, and now even conclude this short two-week series on the, Psalm, the Psalms, Psalms of Health and And in these two weeks, we've briefly been looking at Psalm 46, and now Psalm 43. And it's because in these psalms, the psalmists have external troubles that they're dealing with, and internal troubles that they're talking about. Right? Just like you and I have external things in our lives and, and internal troubles in our hearts. And yet, in you know all that, in both of these psalms, it's clear that these psalmists are honest about what they're going through, that it isn't easy, but also that they really know God as their help and their hope. And we saw that last week in Psalm 46, which which really emphasized God's bigness and his sovereign goodness over our lives and even over the nations. And above all, in Psalm 46, we saw that because of who God truly is, church, we still and know that He is God. And so that was Psalm 46, but now for this week, we'll be here in Psalm 43. And as for this psalm, it's, it's a shorter psalm, only we'll having five verses, as you can see, and yet, yeah, as you'll see as we go through it, it also is a psalm, though, that clearly has a flow to it, and just these five verses, a clear flow to it. Because as for an overview of the flow of Psalm 43, it's pretty plain. Because first, it's going to begin with the psalmist crying out to God and questioning God because the psalmist has really been wrong. And so he is crying out for justice and deliverance, which makes sense. But then, though, he'll transition from that to saying that he realizes that he really needs not just God's deliverance, but also God himself and joy in his God. And then finally, though, the psalm will end without a big resolution. Instead, in verse 5, the flow of the psalm ends with not some crazy victory, but with the psalmist talking to himself and ending by revealing that he's still struggling. And so that's the flow of the psalm we're going to be covering this morning. It's, I'm in this situation, God, why? Will you help me? And then it's, but I realize, God, that I really need you and joy in you finally it ends with, yet yeah, I'm still struggling. And quickly at the beginning of this, I share that flow to start here for us, because that's a lot like us all the time, isn't it? Right? And even in many ways, I think this flow here, Psalm 43, is just the overall flow of our Christian lives as we live in a fallen world and as we have our own struggles and sins. Because in our lives, and in our prayers, and in just how we think of God, it's often, number one, I'm going through this, God, so may you help me, which is good. But then also we feel this pull that, and yet, God, I need more of you right now. I need more joy and peace in you. But then finally, number three, and let's be honest, even with all that, we often still struggle. And so That's basically what we see here in Psalm 43, in that right way. Be really encouraging to us, because that means this chapter here in God's Word shows us an example, a clear example that whatever we're going through, we can go to God and be honest with God, and yet know that whatever we're going through, whatever we might actually be feeling, God Himself still is our hope and our help. And so so that's the Psalm in nutshell. That then brings us to our outline of how we'll go through this psalm more specifically together. As we just said, there's there's basically that three flows to this psalm, and so those will be our three sections as well, But also, as you can just see, the three stanzas to this psalm. And so three sections we'll have this morning together. That's what they are first. We'll be there in verses 1 and 2, and there we'll see how we often feel, right, when we're wrong, or simply when things don't go, how we hope So the second will lead us to verses 3 and 4, and there we'll see another prayer that we should pray, and what we actually ultimately need in those types of situations. And then third and finally, that will lead us to the final verse 5, where again, there isn't much of a resolution, but instead there we see the internal dialogue we often still have, and how we need to tell ourselves to hope in God. So summary three sections. First, how we feel when things are really off. Second, another prayer, what we ultimately need in those situations. And third, the eternal dialogue, and how we need to tell ourselves to go to God. But Allah says that, church, let's begin our first section together. Here again, we're going to see how we often feel when when things are really off or when things just don't go how we hope. And for this, we're in verses 1 and 2. We'll just take these verses one at a time. So begin, look down your Bible's verse 1. The psalmist opens up by crying out this. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. And so, so as you can see, the psalmist is asking for justice, vindication, Because there's ungodliness and deceitfulness and injustice that has affected him. And specifically, as you can see in God's word, there's people that have been like that toward him. And so implied here is that something has happened that's truly wrong and ungodly and deceitful and unjust, and it's other people who have brought all of that about. And now for us, as a quick side note, uh, as we're reading something like this in God's word, right away, we do need to be careful. And I bring this up only because, remember, it was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Himself, who taught us, right? for example, the parable in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you might know that story, but in that parable, it's the Pharisee, the self-righteous one, who, who stands up to pray to God, and he thanks God for how awesome he is, and how he isn't, quote, like other men. Well, then the tax collector in Jesus' parable, who is the ungodly one, he realizes he's the sinner, and he prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Right? You know that story. Jesus is clear that the ungodly tax collector was the one who was actually forgiven and right with God, because he understood his need for God's grace and mercy. And so we do need to keep that sort of idea in mind when we read verses like this. Because that does mean that Jesus himself is clear that we can't read a verse like this here in verse 1 and feel any pride toward ourselves like the Pharisees. We need to be so careful about that when we talk about ungodliness in other people. And yet, also, that said, at the same time, what we do see here in verse 1, which is also in God's word, just like Jesus' parable in Luke 18, what we see here is that yet also... There is real wrong and hurtful deceit and awful injustice in our world. And those things can happen to us, and those things can happen to us from other people. And overall, such things like that happening are not according to God's ways, which is why the psalmist uses that word there ungodly. And so the point is that that's what we see here. The psalmist here is not starting off by saying that he's so great like a Pharisee. Instead, the psalmist here has really been law. And so he cries out to God for defense, for help, for deliverance, for justice in such a situation. Alright, and so that's verse 1. Quickly, that clearly applies to you and me. Because again, we don't want to be self-righteous like any sort of Pharisee from Luke 18. We ourselves, right, are sinners who simply have received God's mercy, and let's be honest, right, we ourselves are often the ones who are hurting others, and so that's what it means to be a sinner, and so there's no room for pride in implying this verse, but also that said, we don't need to be dishonest when God, especially with ourselves, when we're really wrong or hurt, when people do things to us that are not just. Because real injustices and hurts in this world happen all the time, and God cares about those, and God Himself is judgmental. And In fact, I was simply even talking to somebody's this past week who quickly just shared some of the things that have been happening to them recently, and some of it was just clearly really wrong. Even when you can use the word evil, according to the Bible, and messed up in front of other people. And so the point is, as Christians, we are those who, yes, are. By God's grace, saved because we're just like the sinful tax collector ourselves, and yes, also though we should be honest about real hurts and wrongs, and know that God is our defense and God I'm here. And only that that, we need to cry out to God in those situations and believe that He will one day bring justice, possibly in this life now, but certainly when He comes back and He makes everything good and beautiful and right. That's verse 1. And that will lead us to verse 2. So down your Bibles, verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So now here, as you can see, the psalmist goes from verse 1 and just crying out to God to now verse 2, questioning. And it actually makes sense that he does so, because he says here, God is the one in whom he takes refuge. And that should remind us of last week, if you were here in Psalm 46, where we talked about how God is our refuge and strength and our hope. And so God is that to the psalmist, and he is that to us, and that's a beautiful thing. And yet, God being our refuge also means that when unjust and hurtful things like this happen, the question is, why? And even further, the question becomes a sense of why have you rejected me, God, why they cast me off, as the psalmist says here. Because that's how we can feel God is my shelter, my refuge. He keeps me safe. And, and yet, this, this thing is happening to me, or is, or has happened. So the question is, why? And all that then is further explained in those last two lines of the first two, where the question then becomes, why do I go about mourning? this sadness because of the oppression of my enemy. Meaning I have you, God, and yet I'm mourning and the enemy is oppressing me. It doesn't make sense, and so why? And again, for us, that's that's how we feel often, isn't it? God is my refuge and strength and protection, amen, but therefore, why is what's going on going on? And so that's these verses. But one last thing here. Before we move on. All that said, I do want to point out that notice what the psalmist doesn't do here in these verses, nor do the psalmists ever do in God's word, is that yes, they are raw and do ask questions and they even admit that they feel forsaken and cast kind off and rejected, but what they do not do is all of a sudden start believing that God is evil or bad, or put sinister intentions on God or anything like that. And I do want to make that really clear and apply that to us and how we wrestle with God. Because let's be honest, what we've seen so far in Psalm 43 this morning may be in some way a lot of people in this room right now. Only may, only maybe you might know it, or your spouse, or somebody close to you, but you may be going through some really hard stuff. Like stuff you did not deserve, injustice, hurt, and you do not know why. Right? All of us, to some degree, I'm sure, feel that way about certain things right, in our lives. Things that we wish were just different. Things we do not know why God is allowing them to happen. And, and, and on all of that, yes, the point of this section is that in those difficulties we can and we should be honest and cry out to God, asking for deliverance and justice and help. Amen. And also, right, another point here in this section, really in the whole Bible, is that in all that, we must not put evil on God. And think that because what we're going through, he's the wrong one. We need to be careful of implying, even in our hearts, that this situation is the way it is because God is bad and unloving. Instead, as we cry out to God, we should keep our faith in God. In God's goodness and the fact that he really is in this situation still God. Because in reality, if you actually think about it, that's truly what the psalmist is even doing here in the psalm. And we know this not only because of what's about to come in the rest of Psalm 43, but in fact, even here in verses 1 and 2, think about it. What is the psalmist doing? Well, he's experiencing injustice, and he feels forsaken, and he does not understand it. But, But the question for us to ask this psalmist then is, but why then, psalmist, do you cry out to God? you're in the situation, why are you being like this? And thinking about it, the answer is because although he's really hurting and feels forsaken by God right now, he still does believe that God is God, that God is big, that God is good, and that God is his God. Because if he didn't believe those things, he wouldn't be crying out to God like that. But he is, even in this suffering he believing in God and trusting ultimately in God, even though he's distraught and feels rejected by God. And for us, that should be us as well. because this means, to be clear, like the psalmist, again, whatever we're going through, yes, it's crown to God, but really for our own good and God's will, let's never do it in such a way where we suddenly start putting evil on God. And that was the lie from the beginning in the garden of Genesis 3. Because doing something like that is not only just incorrect, but again, it will be hurtful to us and will not glorify God. And so instead, in our wrestling, let's cry out with faith, knowing right, that God is God, that He's good, that He loves us, that He's proved all that at the cross, which is something of an advantage we have over these songs, and believing that He's our ultimate hope in hell, even if we're struggling to see that clearly. And so that's verses 1 and 2. In our first section. But that then brings us now to our second section. And now, here, we're going to see another prayer we should pray and what we ultimately need in such dark circumstances. And I say it that way because the psalmist, as you've just seen, has already prayed for justice and deliverance, and that's good. But now, here in verses 3 and 4, we'll see him take it up a step, delving even further into a situation and what he knows he needs. And for us, we'll see this prayer and what we ultimately need in this section. Basically, two steps, two steps that will build on one another. And that's the first step. Look down your Bibles, and we'll now look at all of verse 3 through the first line of verse 4. So look at your Bibles, verse 3, through just the verse, first line of verse 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. And we'll stop and so, what does the psalmist now pray for? Him? What do we ultimately need in such situations? Well, he prays for God to send out his light and his truth. And that makes sense because in this dark, unjust situation, he wants God's light and he wants God's truth. But why does he want God's light and God's truth? Well, as you can see in verse 3, so that they can lead him. And lead him where? Quote, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. As for those phrases, the holy hill was simply back then where God's temple and God's presence was, and God's dwelling was the temple itself and the place of God's presence. And so that means in verse 3, the psalmist wants God's light and God's truth so that he can be led in this situation to God himself. And that's then explained in the first line of of verse 4, where he then says that he will go then to the altar of God, the altar is simply the place back then where you could experience forgiveness with God, a restored relationship with God. And finally, all of that is confirmed actually in the second line of verse 4, which we haven't read technically yet, but as you can see in those first two words there, he wants to go to the altar of God, but then the second line of verse 4, that's just explained as going to God, to God. So Maybe that was a lot, but all that said, that's been the first step here, if you will, in this prayer of what we need to pray and what we ultimately need. It is the step of going to God, to God himself. And really, that may sound simple, but this step is a huge one. Because think about it, the psalmist could have just stopped in verses 1 and 2, praying for deliverance of justice in his situation. The whole psalm could have just been about that. And perhaps that would have been okay, sometimes our prayers are only about that, but, but what we see here in this section so far is that God inspires the suffering psalmist to see that he actually needs more than just that. And then what does he need more than mere deliverance and justice? Well, in this first step in these verses here, he prays and he knows that he ultimately needs to go to God in this situation. And that's true for you and I as well. We don't just need deliverance and justice when things are going wrong. Right? God may grant such deliverance and justice now. He certainly will forever. But, but that's not all that we need. Because even more above all, we need God in the situation. We need to go to God. We need God's light and God's truth, but not mainly to lead us to a better situation, but to lead us to God Himself. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, being closer to God is actually better than just a better of your situation. And so that's the first step here of what we should pray for what we ultimately need in this section. But in God's Prophets, the psalmist actually doesn't even just stop there. He could have, he could have just said, I, I want deliverance, but I also need God, and ended there. But he doesn't. And I'm really thankful that he doesn't. Because let's be honest, just saying go to God can sound vague. Because what does it mean, right? What does it it look like to go to God? Just praying, just going to church, right? Just reading the Bible. And I think all of those are involved and are helpful, yes. But what really is the result of actually going to God? I mean, what does it really mean and look like when we're so close to God, even in these really dark situations? Well, the psalmist explains. And now for the second step. I'm going to read all of verse 3 again, and also though all of verse 4. And as we do so, notice where it goes. Notice the last three lines of verse 4. Look down in your Bible verses 3 and 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. O oh God, my God. So, so what do we see here? Will we see that the psalmist is going to God? But specifically... He wants to go to, quote, God, my exceeding joy. And literally, in the original Hebrew, that just reads something like, the joy of my rejoicing, or or something like, the joy of my having any joy. And so the point in God's word is the psalmist understands that he has a lot of joys, but his greatest joy, the joy of all his joys, the joy in all his joys, is really God. God. And that's then proven by how he wants to praise God there because praising something or someone means that you really like them, find them praiseworthy. And then that's also proven by how he cries out there at the end of verse 4, Oh God, my God. And so that then is the second step here, if you will, in answering what we should pray for and what we ultimately, brothers and sisters, need in our dark situations. Think about it. As for the psalmist, yes, he wants to go to God, but specifically, he wants to go to God by exceeding joy. That's where he wants to go. He doesn't want to just vaguely go to God. He doesn't just want to go through the motions. Right? Meaning, for him, he didn't just want to go to the temple because he's supposed to go to the temple. For us, that means the goal isn't just praying or just reading our Bibles or just worshiping with other brothers and sisters in church. All right, as a quick side note, that that may be newer to you. Right? Maybe you've always just kind of thought that Christianity is mainly about what we do. But it's actually not. It's much more so about our hearts, our faith, our hope, our emotions, our love. Because yes, doing all of those things is great. And we do need to consistently do things like pray and read our Bibles and worship with others in church to more frequently go to God. But even more so, what is the goal of all that? What is that supposed to actually look like, not just in our actions, but in our very hearts when we really go to God? Well, it's supposed to look like going to God in such a way where God is my exceeding joy. Meaning, and this is really important, going to God looks like us in such situations, not just praying for deliverance, not just asking for help. But more so, what we should also pray for, what we ultimately need in such situations, situations that are really dark and tough, what we need is to be supernaturally drawn to God, to who He is, what He's done for us, and how He loves us. And we need to be drawn to Him in such a way so that in the midst of even such dark circumstances, we can look to God and trust Him and say, God, you are my exceeding joy. You are better than this situation. I love you. I praise you. Oh God, you are my God. We're going to say one last way, just to make it crystal clear. Taking everything we've seen in Psalm 53 just so far, we see that our goal is practically when things are rough is number one to pray for deliverance. Amen. And then number two, to go to God Himself. How do read prayer, worship in church, talk to other people? But that's not all. Specifically, number three, we see really the goal in such situations is amazingly to really rejoice in God. Our goal is not necessarily to find joy in our situation, because that may or may not come, or may or may not be fitting. Instead, after praying for for, for justice, we want to be lifted above the fog and darkness of our situation, if, if you will, and we want to see God. That that God is real, that He's loving, that He's good, that He's our help and our hope, and therefore we want to amazingly rejoice in Him. God, my exceeding joy. That's our prayer, and that's what we ultimately need. And so that's our second stanza, verses three and four. And that leads us to our third and last section. And this is just verse five, And here we're going to see that internal dialogue we still often have and how we need to tell ourselves to hope in God. And taking a, a, a step back for a second before we read it, this last verse being here is quite interesting. Because think about it. Again with this flow, in verses 1 through 4, which we just covered, the psalmist went from crying out to God for deliverance, to then realizing he needs God's light truth to go to God, and specifically realizing he needs to go to God in his exceeding joy. And so we could imagine that in verse 5, in conclusion, he maybe would simply talk about how he did so. Right? How how he went and praised God and all was well. Right? Meaning we could imagine that verse 5, in this flow, would read something like, and therefore I did it. I found my joy in you, Lord, and I praise you, to you be all glory. But the psalm doesn't end that way. Instead, it ends with a verse that shows us it's still a struggle. And not only that, but finally here, the psalmist now goes from talking to God to talking to himself, which is something we honestly should do more frequently. But that said, let's now look at verse 5. So verses 1 through 4 are done. But notice how the psalm ends why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the psalmist ends here by asking himself a question and then actually responding to himself. And to the question, as you can see, he's, he's just blunt and honest with himself because he knows God's got this. He, he knows God is his joy and therefore he asks himself, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And the emphasis I think there is on that, why are you? We feel this all the time, right? We know the right answers. We know that God is God, got this that He's our joy. And therefore, we ask ourselves, why then am I still feeling like this? But that's why this verse is so helpful. Because we're not alone in that. I said the psalmist felt like that as well. In fact, God himself who inspired the psalmist to write this verse here in verse 5 for him. And so that's the psalms question to himself, but then after that, he also responds to himself. In the second half of verse 5. And so, why are you cast down on my soul? Response. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And, and, and that is a beautiful couple of lines Because remember, he's talking to himself here. And he basically says to himself, look, all of this is going on, and it is awful. God does hear my cries for deliverance, and God is God, and he's my joy, but I'm still feeling this. And why, I'm not sure But but I know what I need to tell myself. Above all, I need to hope in God, and so self-hope in God. And honestly, I love those lines. I I personally feel that way all the time and I'm sure you do as well. I think things can be stressful or everything can seem to be going a little crazy or sometimes things may be extreme, really be extremely tough. Right? We know that we need God and we know we need and we want joy in God and yet we often don't have it like we wish. And so what should we do? Well, we should go to God and pray to God and read His word and wrestle with God and worship with other brothers and sisters in the church and talk to others and more. Amen. But also, overall, we simply need to hope in God. We need to tell ourselves, so, Brian, hope in God right now. And that means don't put your hope in yourself right now. Don't put your hope in how you think certain situations may go. Don't put your hope in your plans. Or what you can do. And don't even put, put your hope ultimately in other people who can let you down. Instead, soul, hope, in God. He's, been, he's good. He's got this. And even when I'm feeling like this, those things are true. And so soul, hope, in God. We really do need to talk to ourselves more like that. But finally on the psalm. That, that's not even all the psalm says here. To end. Because if you notice, I finish the psalm, He then explains why he and why we can really hope in God. And it's, quote, hope in God for, or because, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And maybe out of everything we've covered this morning, when we really consider what the Bible is saying here in these last two lines, this may be the most encouraging and most hopeful to a lot of people. Because yes, the psalmist is saying, hope in God, the last question we might ask him is, but why? Why is he hoping in God? And the answer is, as well as you can see, it's because he knows with certainty that this will end, and he will again praise God. I mean, he knows that the sadness, this injustice, this awful situation, and his feelings that go with it, will end. And now, how will it end? When will it end? And what way will it end? he doesn't answer. he doesn't know. But he knows that he's got God. He's got God as his salvation, his help, and he's got God as his God. And so he knows that he will again praise him. This will be resolved. And so he can hope in God. And that is to be us as well, brothers and sisters. And, that, and that's why these last two lines are so encouraging and hopeful. The reality is, life is hard and justice and bad things happen to us in our lives. And as Christians, we know that God is for us. I mean, it's especially just so proved that at the cross. And yet, still, sometimes, often, our emotions are out of whack. And so, what do we need to do? What do we need to say to ourselves? Well, we need to say, yes, all this. But soul, hope in God. And why? Because He's God, and this will pass. As for when, and how, and what way it will pass, I don't know, but I've got God. And He's my salvation forever in Christ, and He's my help right now, and He is my God. And so that is Psalm 43, church. And as you see, that flow, the psalmist goes from questioning, crying out to God for deliverance, to then knowing he, he really needs God, especially joy in God, to then, thus still finally having questions, but telling himself to hope in God. Which all means for us just three final quick takeaways. Number one, it means it is okay, brothers and sisters, from God's word, to feel and talk to God about and wrestle with injustices and hurts we've experienced, and that we feel. Because yes, we always want to avoid being prideful like the Pharisees were, and ever thinking that we're better than other people, but also, again, there are real wrongs, and hurts, and deceptions, and ungodliness that we deal with in our lives before the world. And so, let's be honest, and cry out to God for deliverance, and defense, and justice, then also, number two, as a takeaway, we should realize that in those situations, what we truly do need most is actually to be closer to God himself. Meaning we don't merely or mainly actually just need deliverance from whatever that is, but we need to go to God. With the goal of having a more supernatural joy in God, whatever we're going through. Right, or as Jesus himself told us in the book of John, He told his followers in this world will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Because that means in our trials. We can really take heart. Having even a special joy in God. In our hearts. All because our God is God. And Jesus has overcome the world. that finally leads number three. To the last takeaway. Which is us not just going to God. And not just going to God for joy. But also saying to ourselves again. No matter what's going on. And no matter how we feel so right now, hope in God, we need to start telling ourselves that. Because finally, church, the truth is, we do have really good reason to hope in God. For example, we have good reason to hope in God, because He alone is God, He's big, He's in control of everything, He's good, and He has a plan for everything, that's what we saw last week. And we have good reason to hope in God because he's proved, right? His grace and love and goodness and justice toward us at the cross, as you see in the gospel of Jesus. And so we should think, if, if he did that and cares for me so much there, then I can be sure that he loves me and he's caring for me in the here and now. But also, finally, we have good reason to hope in God the truth is, church, as we saw here in Psalm 43 this morning, but also to bring another psalm now into all of this, we can hope in God because the truth is, as Psalm 30, verse 5 famously tells us, quote, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And let's just God that is true. Now, when that morning comes, the darkness of whatever you're going through, It could be the next literal day and morning that whatever you're going through is resolved. It could be a month from now. Or that joyful morning could be years or decades from now in your life. Or that morning could come for you of deliverance only when you pass on from here and go to Jesus' son. Or finally, that, that joyful morning of deliverance for whatever you're going through may only come. May only dawn when the Son of Righteousness Himself, Jesus Christ Himself, comes back to this earth, and He makes everything good and beautiful and right and bright again. And, and so again, only God knows when that morning of deliverance will come for whatever darkness that we're going through. Take heart; the truth is, morning is coming, and so we can hope. God. Because with our God, he is our help, our hope, our joy, our salvation and our God.